Thank you so much, Brother Ruben, always ready to serve us with your music. The gift of music is special with you, it is special with us. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can continue. You have given us time, you have extended time for a reason. And the reason being you want us to be prepared for what is coming. And we know what to prepare for because you will be explaining things to us from the Word of God. And we thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. It is the light of our life. We thank you, too, that we have relative peace, but we have greater peace in our hearts. Bless those who are going to listen today and those who will be listening later. May the Holy Spirit talk to them, 
guide and enlighten them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're here again, and we're going to go to part two of our study on the courage of conviction and the choice of conscience, still focusing on conscience as the, really the, the way to understand this is if we have a clear conscience, we'll be able to understand these issues the way God wants us to understand not only, not only the milk of the gospel, but the deep things of God. Well, let's talk about this conscience thing based on last time we were reading on the, the uh, trial or the self-defense that Paul did in front of church and state represented by Ananias the high priest and, and Festus the governor. Now, let's turn here to the same chapter, Acts chapter 24. And I'm going to be reading uh, between uh, verses 22 and 27. And you will see why this is so important. Because this shows that Paul knew what to do, what to say, at the right time, at the right place, the very message that the people needed to hear, while it convicted those that needed to be convicted, it did not automatically or necessarily result in the desired, in the desired response of the message. So I'm getting ahead of myself, but let's read it. And so here it is in verse 22. And when Felix, that's the governor, civil government, heard these things, you know, the explanation that Paul was doing, and his witness, it says, having more perfect knowledge of that way. So Felix was aware of what Paul was saying. And he was defending the truth. And that word way, I want you to understand that as this new religion was emerging, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that was in contrast to Judaism, which was the official national religion of the Jewish people, and then, of course, the religion of the Romans. So that was the way was called, the religion that this man called Christ Jesus and his followers were described as the way. All right, so when it says here, Felix had a more perfect knowledge of that way. He deferred then. He deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. In verse 23, And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintances to minister or come down to him. So although he was still a prisoner, he had liberty. He, had, he could accept visitors to minister to him. In verse 24, and after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, and you know what Drusilla was? She was a Jewess. He sent for Paul, so husband and wife, we're going to listen to Paul, and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. That was the way, right? His faith in Christ. And here at verse 25, this is what Jesus said, you will have to reason out before kings and governors as a testimony against them but as my witness listen what it says here 
And Paul reasoned of three things. And one of them is key to what is taking place in heaven today and what will be the final verdict. It's a judgment. Look at this. And as Paul reasoned of righteousness, of temperance or self-control, of self-control, temperance and a judgment to come. Not a present judgment, but a, present, a judgment to come. What was the response of Felix? It says Felix trembled. His conscience was pricked. It was still responding. But look at his choices and decisions. Though that conscience was pricked, though he felt the pang of guilt, it's because he trembled. That's a physical reaction. Self-evident recorded right here. Felix trembled and then he answered. So that physical trembling came from within and that choice that follows thereafter and says he answered. What was his answer? To Paul? He says, go your way for this time, just for a time. When I have a convenient season, when I have a convenient season, I will call for you. Do you see now the difference between conviction and convenience and the choice in between? We're seeing it happen right now in a court of law in front of a witness for God. The name is Paul. And the issue being involved is central to the decision being made is the conscience. Conscience of everyone involved. And Paul is carrying forward this work and it's unfolding before our very eyes, recorded then, to be applicable now and in the very near future. And here's Felix saying, trembling, answering, oh yeah, like he's saying, I, I, I believe. But for now, go your way. And I will call for you when it's more convenient, a convenient season. So he was placing that expectation in the future but remember, the future is not promised. Tomorrow is not promised. It's here now. No procrastination. This was big time because this was a big issue and it's going to be a bigger issue facing everyone that's going to be involved, state and church and a faithful witness. It says, I will call for thee. Not only that, you see the corruption that was existing then and existing now? Because it says, he, he, Felix, aside from being convicted and trembling, he was hoping that money should have been given him of Paul, a bribe. See that happening today? Yes. He was hoping to be given of him money from Paul that he might lose him, let him go. Wherefore he sent for him the oftener and commune with him. Here's the big but. But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room or occupied the place of Felix the governor and became the governor. And so Felix willing to show the Jews a pleasure left Paul bound. He was convicted. He didn't act his conviction. 
He not only tried to use that occasion to, you know, to, to get money, to make money. Money is love. Money is the root of all evil. Evil. So here, he was trying to please the Jews, not God. And to do that, he had an innocent man to him who spoke the truth to him. The Holy Spirit spoke through Paul, to, through Paul causing Felix to tremble. I'm pretty sure the wife who was a Jewish also trembled. But then he sold his soul to the devil for money and lost it. See, this is how studying God's word will prepare us, equip us, fortify our minds against the test that is coming. And the nature of the test is very clear. It will be a test of the conscience. So we want to know how to take care of that conscience in order that that conscience will take care of us when that final test comes, and surely it is coming. Now, what is a good conscience? I'd like to go through the book of Romans because there's going to be a... a, a, a we will see here that there are people of conscience, but they're not necessarily Christians. Okay, let's turn to Romans 2, uh, chapter 15, I mean, chapter 2, verse 15, and then 13 to 16. In verse 13, Paul writes, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Take note. It's not those who uh, hear the law only, but those who do the law that are justified. Verse 14, For when the Gentiles, that is in contrast to the Jews, or God's chosen people then, which do not have the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, this, having not the law, are a law unto themselves. Verse 15, Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, and what follows? Their consciences also bearing witness that their thoughts, the means, are between themselves in the margin while accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, Romans chapter 2, 13 to 16. Now take note, the conscience, even of the Gentiles who did not have the law, but were a law unto themselves, responding to the work of the Holy Spirit, convicting the conscience, either accuses or excuses. If you're guilty, it excuses you. If you're if you guilty, it accuses you. If you're not guilty, it excuses you. And Paul puts the context in the day of their individual judgment, when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul says this is according to the gospel. And also a good conscience is in harmony with God's law that is written in the heart. Although they may not yet have heard it from any preacher or any missionary or read it from the Bible itself. The opposite is true of a bad conscience. It, it disobeys the voice of the Holy Spirit in the conscience. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 5, I love this. There are things here I want to emphasize. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 5, now the end, okay, it's not determination, 
but the object or the purpose of the commandment is charity or love. Out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, or real, genuine, not pretended, or faked. So, here we have uh, things that go together. What are they? A good conscience, Christ-like love or charity, a pure heart, and true faith, they all run together. They go together. In 1 Timothy 1.19, the disregard of conscience means a shipwreck of faith and shipwreck of character. That's what it means. We read it. It says, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning the faith, have made shipwreck, that is, of their faith. In 1 Corinthians 8, 7 to 11, the condition of the conscience depends on the knowledge of God's Word. The more knowledge we have, the better the condition, or the more sensitive the condition of this, the conscience will be. Let's begin reading this in verse 7, Roman, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 7. There is not in every man that knowledge, with some with conscience, of the idol unto this hour. He eats it as a thing offered unto an idol, because their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we better, or neither if we eat not are the worse. But take it lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. Weak in the faith, weak in conscience, that means. For if a man sees thee, which has knowledge, you have knowledge of this truth, sitting at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? Verse 11, And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Verse 12, But when you sin, if you sin in this way, when you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against God, against Christ. Verse 13, Wherefore, that's the conclusion, if meat make your brother who is with a weak conscience to offend, what was Paul's conclusion? He says, I will not, I will eat no flesh while the world stands, lest I make my brother offend. Now, I find this very interesting because the health reform message is the opening wedge. It's the right arm of the gospel. You and I who are preparing for the things that are coming, and are coming with a certainty, should make this central to our preparation. It's not all of it, but it is the opening wedge and the right arm of the gospel, the health reform. We'll be studying that more and more. Well, so this actually is the same principle expressed in the verse James 4.17. What do we read in James 4.17? Therefore to him who knoweth to do good, knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Knowledge is central.
Now, in 1 John 3, 20, 21 and 22, it tells us that if our hearts, now you understand what the heart means, conscience, does not condemn us, then we should have confidence. Okay, so let's read that. Verse 20, for if our heart or conscience condemn us, God is greater than our heart because he is the one that's working our heart and he knoweth all things. Verse 21, Beloved, if our hearts or conscience condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God and of course towards our fellow men. I love this, friends. You know how to be at peace with God and man? To have a clear conscience. And verse 22 says, And then, look at this, when you anybody reads to you this verse, independent of the verses prior and after, it is out of context. And I've learned this. A text taken out of context is a pretext. Verse 22. Only after, as we, we were just reading, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that please him. So very careful when you read portions of verses, oh, and whatsoever we ask, we shall receive. That's not the case. It's conditional. So here's another issue about a conscience. The one was a good conscience. Here is a defiled conscience. Titus 1.15 The mind and conscience of the unbeliever is defiled. To him, nothing is pure. Whatever you talk about pure, maybe in the worldly sense, yes. But in God's word, if the mind and the conscience is defiled, nothing is pure. Okay, That's how central the conscience is. Titus 1.15 says, Unto the pure... All things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. That's Titus 1.15. Titus 1.16, it says a hypocrite. Now, you don't want to be a hypocrite. Uh, it, is, it is fatal, by the way. In First Timothy, or Titus 1.16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate or useless. Titus 1.16 says that in the margin, one with a defiled conscience is an unsafe counselor. Be careful about seeing counselors. Make sure that they have undefined consciences. They're not safe to be counselors. Titus 1.13 talks about sound in faith. Being sound in faith is the safeguard against a defiled conscience. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So if there is any sharp rebuke that is needed, it is only to make that person sound in faith, not just to make him uncomfortable or to show him, you know, spite. That is against God's work. If you are called upon God, called by God to do this work, it is for a purpose. 
And the purpose is that the person may be sound in faith. Otherwise, don't do it. In 2 Timothy 2.16-18, it says in the margin, Words from a defiled conscience are like canker. You know what canker is? Gangrene. Ah, it's terrible. You don't want to have a gangrenous wound. It is horrible. But that's how it's described. Verse 16, Paul writes, Shun, shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase in more ungodliness. So let's be careful, remember words. If you get engaged with all kinds of vain babblings and foolish talk, idle talk, it increases unto more ungodliness. Verse 17, and their words will eat us that canker. An example is given of whom Hymenaeus and Philetus. In verse 18, it says, it, Who concerning the truth have erred from the truth, saying that the resurrection is past already, and they overthrow, that word is shipwreck, the faith of some. So they are a stumbling block to others. Aside from make, making shipwreck of themselves, they make a shipwreck of others. Because their conscience is defiled, they defile the consciences of others, with their consent, by the way. In Matthew 22, 23, and 4, remember this. At the time of Christ, oh, there were a lot of legalists. They were the guardians of the nation. People look up to them. Their lives were totally miserable, the Pharisees. They often strain at the gnat, a little, little insect, but they swallow a whole camel. They're called legalists. Well, in verse 23 of Matthew 23, Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Up to the very smallest item they were paying tithe. You'd look at that, oh, these people are righteous. But he adds this, but you have omitted the weightier matters of the law, which judgment, mercy, and faith, these ought you have to be done, and not to leave the others, and to leave the others undone. In verse 24 he says, you blind guides, that's referring to a seared conscience, because the eye of faith is the conscience. You strain at the net, that little insect, but actually you're swallowing a whole camel. Well, in Hebrews 10, 19 to 23, we're given a remedy. This is, oh man, this discovers the whole, the whole thing. Because this is very profound. It is the sanctuary message. Okay, Hebrews 10, 19 to 23, the only remedy, cure, is to enter with boldness, humble boldness, with faith, or by faith, through his flesh. Now, this is deep study. But we need to understand this. That flesh of Christ is the incarnated flesh and blood nature that Jesus took forever. Now, in this antitypical veil, that veil there in the temple was of a cloth item, heavy, heavy item. But it was a veil, nevertheless, separating the holy and the most holy. And we have one in heaven. 
And, and, and here Paul is saying and teaching us that that veil is the flesh of Christ. Verse 19, let's read that, Hebrews 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest or the most holy place, how? By the blood of Jesus. Verse 21 says, by a new and living way. It's now the antitype. Which he has consecrated for us. Jesus consecrated that. And what did he consecrate for us? Through the veil. He didn't stop there. He says, the veil, that is to say, his flesh. That is the sinless human flesh and blood nature of Jesus when he incarnated and become man. In verse 21, and having a high priest. That's the high priest that we have now. His flesh is the veil. Over the house of God. The house of God is called the household of faith or church. In verse 22, here's the invitation. Understanding this by faith, let us draw near with a true heart. That is the undefiled conscience. Remember, Leb, the Hebrew, Leb is the heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then verse 23, let us then hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. What about a seared conscience? In 1 Timothy 4 verse 2, you know, a person may continue in sin until his conscience becomes seared. We better know when to stop. Like they say, don't go too far out in a branch. It might break before you're able to get back to safety. 1 Timothy 4 verse 2 says, Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. In other words, that's the evidence that the conscience is impure and in fact seared. What do they do? Such the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, Jesus said, they speak lies, double jeopardy. They speak lies in hypocrisy, adding sin to sin and transgression to transgression. Ephesians 4, 7 to 19, 17 to 19, they are alienated from the life of God. Their conscience is given over to lasciviousness and wickedness. So we read in verse Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding or the conscience darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of the heart conscience that is who being past feeling they're already desensitized okay who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness and greediness uh, we want one another verses uh, another body of verses that we'd like to look at in in first peter 3 16 it speaks of a good conscience having a good conscience that whereas you know what Paul was saying? I always strive to keep a clear conscience. So here, whereas they will speak evil of you as evildoers, that they may be ashamed 
that falsely accuse your good conversation or your good life in Christ. So, from other secular writers, there's more here. I'd like to bring on other secular writers who, who wrote about conscience in, in a very creative way, but nevertheless truthful. Here, conscience, good, my Lord, is but the pulse of reason, is written by the poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Another one is from uh, the, the Laws of Comedy. A burdened conscience will never need a hangman. Torture. Lord Byron in, uh, in The Island wrote, Whatever creed be taught or land be trod, man's conscience is the oracle of God. Here in John Milton, when he wrote uh, Paradise Restored, he says, let his tormentor, conscience, find him out. It's like that passage in, I think, First Samuel, which says, be sure your sin will find you out. Here, be sure your conscience will find you out. You can't run away from it, by the way. You know, Shakespeare, I don't often refer to him, but in Macbeth, he refers to conscience. He says, better be with the dead, the dead, than on the torture of the mind to lie in restless ecstasy. Terrible. James Montgomery in, in Pelican Island wrote, Conscience, the bottom hell of guilty man. There's a few more that I'd like to bring on. It says here, uh, William Mullock in The New Republic brought this. Conscience to most souls is like an English, English sovereign. It reigns, but it does not govern. John Dryden, one of my favorite poets too, writes, Here it lies, a lump of load by day, and in my short, distracted, nightly slumber, the bag that rides my dreams. Lord Byron in Manfred wrote, There is no future pang can deal that justice in the self-condemned that he deals with his own soul. And a proverb says, The guilty conscience needs no accuser. And finally, the last two, Lord Byron in Don Juan, A quiet conscience makes one serene. Do we need that today? Do you know why people are agitated? There's a problem with the conscience. And then finally, Origen wrote these words. Conscience is the chamber of justice. And with that, I'd like to wind up this particular section and we'll move on with the next part next time. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that even the Gentiles who did not understand or know the law had a conscience. And when they listened to that conscience, they were not accused. They were excused. So we pray that we shall understand the role of conscience in the final test that it is to come, that we make choices of courage based on a pure conscience and know how to protect, to enhance, and keep that conscience clear and pure. The Holy Spirit may dwell in us, the Holy Spirit of Christ in God. This we ask in Jesus' name.
Amen.